Welcome, Blood Brothers and Sanguine Sisters, to the Deeply Discussing Dexter podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hi. And Zach Rowland. Hey, hey. And today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 11, Truth Be Told. Uh, This is the penultimate uh, episode of Season 1. Lots of stuff going on here uh, to set up the finale. Stuff with the Ice Truck Killer, um, some more depth into Dexter's past, and some conclusions for uh, Paul and Rita. So, uh, what did you guys think of this episode overall? It was not one of my favorites. Sorry. It wasn't one of my favorites. I thought it was a little inconsistent, and just, you can tell they're setting up for the finale. It just was kind of, it didn't flow well. There were parts of it that were good, but I didn't think it was it flowed as well as the last few episodes. I can see that. Yeah, I thought it was kind of in that same realm of, like, there was exposition. Obviously, a lot of stuff about Dexter's past that we learned is exposition. And uh, it does help us to further, you know, understand the story. But, it, you know, it's just information. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I thought it was a setup episode, which was fine. It's not necessarily, like, super memorable. There's some, you know, some interesting points or uh, things to take away from it. But, like, all in all, not, not anything I'd be like, I'm going to go back and watch that one specifically. So the biggest thing about this episode is that um, it basically cleans up every loose end that they are not going to get to in the finale. Um, because the finale is pretty much packed with uh, finalizing the Ice Truck Killer story and the Deb, Rudy, Dexter story. Um, The biggest moment of the episode is its cliffhanger, uh, which is Rudy actually capturing Deb and Deb finding out that he is the Ice Truck Killer. Um, So that's, that's kind of the big deal. Um, for me, that's one of the... It's, it's right up there with, with some of the best moments of the show. Uh, and, and for this season, uh, the episode where, you know, at, right at the end, the audience learns that Rudy is the Ice Truck Killer. That's an amazing cliffhanger. This episode also has an amazing cliffhanger in uh, leaving us with, with Deb in serious trouble and finding out that uh, Rudy's not... A good man. Yeah, the ending made it worth it. I really, I loved that scene, and I honestly just wanted to keep watching. It was really hard to turn it off and and wait. Um, but yeah, I agree. That part was good. The rest was just filler. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's not like the show's not like Twenty Four, where it sets up a cliffhanger and then resolves it five minutes into the next episode. Um, when it sets up a cliffhanger, it's a big, big deal, and we've been waiting now. Uh, since the it was the cliffhanger of episode seven that we learned who Rudy is, and uh, this is the first character in the show to learn who Rudy is, so uh, it's a big deal. So yeah, let's talk uh, Ice Truck Killer. Um, Dexter starts off by saying, "If hell exists, I'm in it." Uh, he narrates his vision of the scene in the container he saw his mother die. Deb breaks Dexter back in reality. They're at Angel's crime scene in the parking garage. Pool of blood where Angel fell almost says Dexter back into panic. Uh, the hooker with the nail polish runs into Rudy. He's drawing the lines on her where the cuts will go. And then he chokes her out and says a fresh body will create a distraction that allows him to escape. He carries her into his walk-in freezer. Um, so this is the first time I think we're seeing him take somebody into the freezer and actually take someone off the street like this. Um, then uh, Deb leaves Rudy a message. Dexter calls Rita and tells her he's going to stay and watch over Angel. Rita tries to talk him to him about how she hasn't told the kids that Paul's back in jail and then lets him off the hook. Uh, LaGuardia shows up at the hospital room and or sh- walks out of the hospital room and says Angel successfully made it through surgery. Dexter walks off. Dokes catches up to him and says, you just found out someone who's supposed to be your friend is going to live. Doesn't it make you feel anything? And Dexter calmly says, take your fucking hand off me. This is the first legitimate confrontation between the two. 
which you know is building up towards something. Um, well, it's the first time we've seen Dokes get <clears throat> physical with Dexter. Yeah, he kind of pushes him up against the wall. It's actually funny when he uh, when he says, take your hand off of me. At that point, Dokes' hand is actually on the wall next to him. So it's kind of awkward. Uh, he's, uh, he's in like a... I think he has like his left hand on Dexter's chest and his right hand on the wall. Okay, if he if he had his hand on his chest, I didn't notice it because yeah. it's focused on his hand on the wall. And he says, "Take your hand off me." I'm like, "What is happening?" Yeah, I think it's just the angle because when Dexter says, "Take your hand off me," and it's close up on him, you see his other hand on the wall. Yeah, that's just a camera operator error that they don't understand which hand to focus on. It happens all the time in so many. Sh- no, I'm just kidding. Um. Yeah, I, I think they, I think it's just the the, the reverse to Dexter uh, when they're not showing the full shot of both of them. The reverse to Dexter so they can show him close up when he says, "Take your fucking hand off me." Um, just doesn't happen to have his uh, have Dokes' hands on him in the scene. I thought this. I thought this episode started off really strongly um, with the way the visual was done of it it juxtaposing the inside of the shipping container with the the lights from the police car on Dexter's face. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a, a pretty well shot scene. Yeah, and this was uh, uh, Keith Gordon again, uh, which. Uh, or not again. This was directed by Keith Gordon, who uh, went on to do ten total episodes across all eight seasons. So, uh, yeah, he's very capable. A, uh, I I thought this was a well directed episode, anyway. Yeah the uh, the Rudy stuff with the uh, the uh, escort with the hand the, um, was interesting because of the fact that, like you said, Dale, we. We're finally seeing it for the first time, you know, his ritual, kind of, in a, in a way. Um, but we're, you know, we're seeing him interact with these women, and he's, like, super nice to her, you know? I mean, it, it's not like the other guy who they pinned for the ice truck killer, where we see him with a woman, and he's got her chained up and uh, to a bed, and he's doing sick things to her or whatever. Like, granted, he's a copycat killer or whatever he doesn't know if he ever killed a woman but like he's a copycat of the ice truck killer but here we actually see rudy you know like being nice and almost like um sort of not sweet but just like sincere i guess i don't know nurturing yeah yeah he he plays that really well i can see why the women felt comfortable being with him until their last moments you know he's like a ted bundy yeah. yeah, so I picked up a lot of menace from Rudy in this scene. Like, he was incredibly menacing. And I don't know if it's how he played the scene or the fact that at this point as the audience, we know he's the ice truck killer. But to me, he was just, everything he did, I was waiting for him to like just stab her. Yeah, but he never does. He's so good at at, and this is kind of what I was talking about um, when I was talking about him, his performance from the last episode, is that he's so good at walking the line between what the audience knows he is and what he's trying to accomplish with the other characters that he's in the scene with. So, uh, yeah, the the first guy that they picked up. Uh, Neil Perry, the guy they picked up for being the ice truck killer before, was a uh, a sadist, a misogynist. Um, there was a very sexual aspect to what he was up to, and Rudy, on the other hand, is just a uh, a sociopath and is very smart about getting people to trust him and acting in a way that you know uh, people will come back to his house and never leave again. Real Paul Bateman. Yeah. <laughs> is, that the, is that the American Psychos guy's name? Patrick, Patrick, Patrick Bateman. Bateman. Patrick, Patrick Bateman. Bateman. There There's a character it, named yeah. Paul Allen. Yeah, That's, that's right. I get the Patrick and the not. Paul mixed up. Right. I'm going to say something here, and I'm, I'm not lying. First time I watched the show, and now on rewatch, from the very first 
first minute I saw Rudy, I never trusted him. I knew he was going to be bad the first time I watched the show. I just sensed that sliminess. I don't see. I don't see the charming. I think he's super creepy from the very beginning, and I know most people don't feel that way. But he always struck me as just slimy and fake. I, so I don't I know. I think what I think what lulls you into a sense of security with him um, is how how perfectly he makes himself into a partner for Deb. Uh, he's got this really great confidence and sense of humor that none of her, like, uh, none of her anxiety or fear of being adequate, you know, her, her adequacy feelings, her self-esteem, all of those things, like, nothing, nothing can puncture his completely calm and and also like deprecating sort of style that he has and that that confidence is very uh it's very endearing it's very seductive um you know not even in necessarily a sexual way it's seductive in that you know myself as an audience member i'm being drawn into this character and before i found out who he was i was happy for him to be Deb's boyfriend. I thought he was a very interesting boyfriend character for a television show to have. So, and I'm rare. I mean, I'm. The, I don't think I've heard anybody, even back when it was on, say they felt that way. I just, for some reason, just something about the character. Um, I don't even know. I don't know if it's the performance that just doesn't click for me, or if it's the. I don't know. But it just never. I never bought the Rudy character. It's probably something psychological in me. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it says more about me than anybody else. Yeah. That's a, that's a good thing. He's introduced <laughs> in the uh, in in the episode where Tucci's in the hospital um, after they've they've rescued him from uh, from Rudy himself as it turns out. Uh, and, and he's in that scene and I think it's an interesting the way they, they juxtapose it because they're introducing him, and he is obviously he's, he's making obvious uh, gestures and comments toward being interested in Deb. But so is Tucci, and when Tucci does it, it's like harmless and not going anywhere, and it's like Masuka esque. You know, Masuka esque, and Deb is like playing along with him because she's just glad that she was the one to save him or whatever. But with Rudy, it's kind of more like, I might actually follow through with something with you. Like, I might actually let you take me out. That, that could happen. Well, I watch The Bachelor, so it's really my fault that he reminds me of, like, <laughs> half of the guys who are on The Bachelor. So it might just be my fault. The truth <laughs> I, is I revealed. <laughs> I think if you watch The Bachelor... My shameful secret. I think if you watch The Bachelor, then, then that's... Your fault. <laughs> I know. I, hey, I take full. I take full responsibility. But he's like, he reminds me of that like slimy guy that goes on those kind of shows. That's. I just. I felt that from the beginning with yeah. him. So I. I just never. I never had the feel for Rudy that so many other people do for some so, reason. So he didn't get a rose from you, is what you're saying? He did not get a rose. <laughs> A white did rose? Not. Did he not get a white rose? Ah, <laughs> uh, a white rose? No, none. No rose. <laughs> Rainbow rose, maybe. Oh, man. Uh, Rudy has decorated the body parts like Christmas this time. Uh, he's half singing Deck the Halls. Deb shows up unannounced. Rudy can see her on a closed-circuit TV. He eventually opens the door. Deb hugs him and remarks how cold he is, and Rudy says, well, then stay and keep me warm. Rudy talks a little bit about Angel and then asks Deb to go out of town for the weekend. He says he's got a, he, he says he has a little something to help her sleep. And Deb says it's more than a little. And Rudy's like, I meant Valium, Deb. Uh, she says, well, between wine and Valium, I'll be completely helpless. And Rudy says, you read my mind. So we cut to a top view of Deb, nude and face down on the bed. And, uh, yeah, it's just another one of these kind of fake-out scenes of, oh, crap. Like, we we just saw him deal with uh, the prosthetic prostitute, and now he's got Deb in his house, and she's sedated and and passed out. So something bad is going to happen to her. 
Deb has moved on to subtlety now. She no longer just says you don't have wood. She 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 alludes to it. So we're we're she's we're grown. showing growth. she's grown. We're showing growth. Yeah, I, I think she passed out because she took drugs and <laughs> drank wine. I don't think like she got frustrated by the lack of wood or she got wooded into submission and slept. Oh no, probably not. <laughs> I'm just saying that her statement before it's not little. Gotcha. Subtle. Gotcha. Uh <laughs> yeah. So Deb and Dokes are at the crime scene where the prosthetic uh, prostitute was left under the tree. Look at the mall Santa display. Uh, LaGuardia asked Dokes and Dexter uh, to lead him through the crime scene, but Dokes is still mad at Dexter and shoulder bumps him, says your sister can show you. The clock at the display over Santa has been stopped and set to 103. Masuka says, ho, 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 another dead ho. Hey, Morgan, want to sit on my lap and tell me what you want for Christmas? Deb says, and he's back. Which I'm sure Brooke is just excited over. Oh, yeah, yeah, great. I'm so glad when we have a good Masuka line. Yeah, he, he took yes. a, like, like five to ten minute in the episode break <laughs> because Angel had been stabbed. But now that they're in a the different crime scene, he's back. Right. He had a minute of humanity when his friend was dying. He's like, nope, let's get right back down to business. But I do like Deb's response. She said, the last thing on my uh, wish list is what a burning sensation when I pee was her response to him asking her to sit on his lap. Yeah. So props to Deb. Uh, Dexter thinks the scene feels rushed. He finds a VHS tape under the torso. Captain Captain Matthews arrives and is harassed by the press. The tape shows the hooker reading from a statement. She's been hung upside down, and the tape goes on to show her uh, being murdered. Matthews tells Dokes he's in charge. Doke protests that Lieutenant LaGuardia is in charge, and Matthew says, well, we've got to come up with some fresh ideas. So, uh, always put Dokes in charge if you want fresh ideas, I suppose. <laughs> well, and it was just another barb thrown at LaGuardia. Again, yeah. going back to that. Uh, political fight between them that is slowing down the investigation into the ice truck killer. Yeah, Dokes, uh, the best thing about putting him in charge is that the reports seem much more detailed because there are a lot more pages when he writes them, but that's just because he has to work the word motherfucker in every single sentence. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, I appreciate the show's um, due diligence to the holiday seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, they really you know help us to see a passing of time. So like it's funny now that we see it's close to Christmas and we have the elves uh, the that are talking about who found the body parts and um, you know the Santa display and then it gives Masuka just fodder for disgustingness. And, you know, but, like, it's good, though, because I, I think it does help the audience to kind of place, you know, what, what time of year it is. Because in Miami, it's the same pretty much all times yes. of year. So good on them for, like, uh, adding to the scenes and giving us a little bit more than we're, we're used to with that situation. Yeah, it's not painfully humid in Miami during the wintertime. It's just humid. Yeah, there's a little little less sweat stains on the pits and the neck when you look at them around this time of year. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, um, Deb takes Dexter to lunch to talk about Rudy. Rudy shows up. Deb has staged this so that Dexter can try to find out what's up with Rudy. Dexter notices the cut on Rudy's lip. Rudy says he had an accident. Dexter nonchalantly says it looks like it's older than a day. It's already closing up. Uh, Dexter says, my sister's afraid there's trouble in paradise. Rudy says, your sister's wrong. Dexter warns Rudy that if he hurts her, Dexter will hurt him. And then uh, we cut to Angel waking up in the hospital. His estranged wife and LaGuardia are there. Angel says to the wife, if I had known this would get you back in the same room with me, I'd have gotten stabbed earlier. Sweet talk right there. I can see why why (laughs) she won't take him back. 
And then right in a row, he says, tell me you got the cocksucker that ruined one of my best shirts. So, uh... Oh, yeah, I ruined, I ruined one of my best shirts the other day when I was watching it, and I was so mad. I, I, I relate to this. Like, I, I would be pissed, too, if they didn't get that cocksucker. You know? I was the cocksucker in my own situation. <laughs> Caught myself red-handed. Should never wash a fresh pair of red pants with uh, anything uh, that's not red. <laughs> yeah. That scene almost ruined one of my nicest televisions. So... <laughs> wardrobe i can't blame him <laughs> oh man uh laguarda tells angel that his wife was at the hospital first and has been with him the whole time dexter finds a drop of blood on angel's shirt that isn't his laguarda thanks dexter for all his help it's mildly flirtatious uh dokes is the running dokes is running the videotape back there's a shot at the end that shows the room is really big bigger than a commercial freezer Debs hunches that the custom freezer is residential because hookers know to avoid industrial areas. Uh, she says something along the lines of hookers know immediately not to go into the let's get murdered area of town. Uh, and then uh, Dokes creates a grid and says that they're going to focus on large power draws and try to find the custom freezer. Deb shows Dexter a text from Rudy that says, come sail away with me. And Dexter says, <laughs> misspelled come. Uh, Deb flip-flops several times on whether she wants Dexter to tell her what's going on, and as Deb continues to spiral into panic, Dexter says he wants to be part of the family. Deb does her scream laugh and starts jumping up and down, um, which is which is just awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate Rudy's um, attempt to also speak like a high schooler when he says come sail away with me with the C-U-M. Like, he's really playing to that high school It's meant for dub. Yeah. 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 He ain't that suave. He ain't that suave. He doesn't doesn't have to be. He just doesn't have to be. Well, it's because Deb. Dexter's Dexter's quote of uh, he misspelled cum (laughs) this line of the whole episode. It's so good because he you know there's no irony in that. He's just dead panning it it's so good <laughs> uh, Matthews manages to get out of being in trouble Dokes warns LaGuardia that Matthews will be gunning for her now Angel's in trouble with his wife for getting contraband food into the hospital he says he wants to go home with her and she says that they were miserable for years she'll always be there for Angel but their marriage is over I want to interject on that if it if she he got stabbed, he's not in the hospital with a heart attack. If she doesn't think he deserves a couple of burgers, does he really want to stay with her at this point anyway? <laughs> yes, because he's angel. Yeah, and he's really sad. And <laughs> Wait, that's pretty that, controlling. I mean, he got stabbed. Let the dude have an extra burger. This this scene was a wonderful little Easter egg for nerds, uh, because where he gets the burgers from is the Double Meat Palace. From Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which the right. the writer of this episode was a writer on Buffy. So I actually caught that. Oh, I thought it was a big Kahuna burger. <laughs> <laughs> I would have caught that one, but I caught the Buffy reference. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't catch the Buffy. Re- I didn't watch Buffy, so that's a that's a really cool thing, though. I would have never caught that, obviously. And there's Very a whole clever. show about Angel. But not oh, that one. <laughs> and he—he's also a sad angel. <laughs> he is <laughs> a lot of lot of brooding. Yeah, and then he turns to bones. Can't be with Buffy because she's on the other set. Uh, and then Matthews walks into Laguerta's office. He says the mistakes made thus far are based on a flawed command structure, so he's replacing her with a Haitian American. Laguerta is furious. Uh, Dexter goes to Angel's bedside to see if he has wounds on the back of his head that corresponds to the blood. He finds teeth marks. Angel says, well, at least I gave him a fat lip. And Dexter is stunned and asks Angel if he knows Rudy. Angel met him. Dexter internal says, well, he has my attention now. Uh, he finds out that Deb is going to be stuck at Miami Metro all night and goes to check on Rudy. 
Rudy calls and talks Deb into meeting him on his rented yacht for dinner. Dexter goes to Rudy's apartment. He can't get in because of the industrial locks. So he goes dumpster diving to look for Rudy's DNA and finds a cotton ball with blood on it. Deb finds Rudy dressed up on a yacht holding a white rose. She's very excited. And she expresses that by saying, fuck me. Deb tells him (laughs) she needs to turn right around and go back. Rudy proposes to her. Deb says yes, but she needs to slow it down so she can enjoy it. Rudy asks her to stay for one glass of champagne. Uh, Dexter gets the blood of the DNA tech. He calls Deb to see and says it's important that they talk later. Deb ignored the call. Rudy says, good, I want you all to myself. Uh, Rudy doesn't drink his champagne. He puts something in his mouth and kisses her. Deb says it tastes like menthol, which is not all that sexy. She sees the lozenge wrapper on the table and freezes. She's figured it out. Rudy says that's one clue the ice truck killer left. Deb says, how do you know that? Rudy says, I don't often make mistakes, but when I do, they haunt me. He asks her how she couldn't t- how she couldn't tell he was the one that she was hunting. He starts to choke her out. Masuko tries to explain the autopsy results that indicate the hooker was an amputee. He gets through to Dexter. Masuka says, booyah. <laughs> Dexter goes back to the DNA tech and confirms it was a match for Rudy. He tells dispatch to raise her on the radio, but they said that she's out of range, and the last shot is of Rudy looking at Deb's phone and seeing the calls from Dexter, and he throws the phone over. Which is just rude. Like, there's a shady button for for a reason. You know, don't don't <laughs> trash my phone. Yeah, Rudy's got a lot going on here. This and this is a fun moment where, you know, obviously the the big reveal for not only Dexter but for Deb is happening and it's like uh the menthol thing I thought was really like I don't want to say funny, but like a, a you know, like a point where you're like, aha but that menthol thing in his mouth and it's like that's that's one of those moments uh, those um, connectors that you're like nice good on them for really you know sailing it sailing it sailing it they're sailing they're sailing away selling it they're just sailing it <laughs> they just keep right on sailing it sailing I don't it. understand why I just yeah. I don't understand how Deb made the jump when she saw the lozenge wrapper to oh my god I'm clearly in the room with the ice truck killer because they can't be the only person that uses <laughs> lozenges they just can't <laughs> but See, it didn't seem to me like it gelled for her right off the bat I think it just made her uncomfortable is how I read it my reading was like she was like Ugh, that just freaks me out and then a couple seconds later as he starts talking she kind of clicked from that's what i felt like yeah i think i mean i think it's at least suspicion but right. there there is a complete shift in her her body language when she sees that she's just kind yeah. of like frozen like wait a minute yeah yeah but that scene was so well done i mean that was such a good scene i it was just so intense and heartbreaking and just perfectly executed it's great and it's a great cliffhanger um the uh resolution of the cliffhanger i also think is really great there's another really great rudy and dev uh exchange that happens uh in the next episode but uh yeah i i love this cliffhanger it's it's hard for me to say whether i like this one or uh the one where we find out who rudy is better uh, from this season, but they're they're both up there as as the the top two. The, the look on Deb's face as her brain slowly works out what is happening is so wonderful because he is wrapping himself around her like a snake the entire scene. And it's just slowly dawning on her what's going on. And then as soon as that realization hits, he tightens around her neck. It's it's really well shot scene. It is, because it's as she's processing what's happening, he's squeezing her tighter and she's really trying is this really happening kind of moment as he's just snaking his way more around her until he starts choking her out. Yeah, it's like uh, Ka in the uh, in the Jungle Book when he's wrapping himself around Mowgli and he's like, "Trust in me." <laughs> and, I mean, he proposed to her. It's the best moment of her right. life, and then 
he puts that lozenge in his mouth and it becomes the most horrifying moment of her life and that's yeah. what snakes do they just you know snakes they, they don't suck. use lozenges Zach <laughs> they do do <laughs> I've seen are you them. sure about that I, I saw it's tiny How little many snake snakes hands oh I'm a big snake friend friend of the snake <laughs> listen you keep your slither into yourself alright this is a uh, <laughs> this is not a Harry Potter related podcast Guardian Leviosa <laughs> uh, I gotta take a squirt. Um, <laughs> oh man! So this one was directed by Keith Gordon. It was written by Tim Schlattman and Jersey Greenberg. Uh, Tim Schlattman wrote one episode and appeared uncredited in six episodes of Smallville. Uh, after Dexter, he was uh, like we said before, one of the executive producers and writers of. Uh, the final season of Under the Dome, which I don't think anyone has watched. And uh, Drewzy Greenberg was a story editor and writer on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so that's our, our double meat connection. Uh, and Dexter, he wrote two episodes, this one and season one, episode four, Let's Give the Boy a Hand. After this, he wrote on Arrow and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So Dexter goes to visit the record supervisor, uh, Camilla, played by Margot Martindale, uh, first time we've seen her since the pilot. Dexter struggles to make small talk and then asks for a case file on the crime scene where Harry found him. She tells anything. She tells him anything that old is in storage. Um, the camera always shows Camilla in extreme close-up. Her face takes up the whole screen. Uh, Dexter says, is there anything you remember about the case file? Camilla said that she remembered that Harry gave you a loving family. So she is hiding something from him. And he brought her donuts again. Because that's what she does in this show. She eats. Yes. That is, that is her character. <laughs> her character is a fat woman that likes food. It's such a waste of Margot Martindale. Yes. Uh, later he's looking up newspaper microfiche to find the information about where he was found. Turns out the crime was reported on 10-3-1973, so that's where the 10-3 comes from. Uh, this report is what the ice truck killer wanted Dexter to find all along. He sees a picture of his mother, Laura Moser. Dexter goes to Camilla's house and confronts her with the information. She admits she destroyed the file when Dexter's adoption went through to protect Dexter, and Camilla tells him to leave it alone. So, yeah, we get... Two more scenes with uh, with Camilla in this episode after not seeing her since the pilot episode. I, I it's uh, I know it's written in obviously because they want to start connecting the pieces of the puzzle, but like how does Rudy have all of this information? Like just how does he have this information? That's the question, right? Like what's the one hundred three stuff? Like there's whoever the ice truck killer is, which we know is Rudy. Where does he get this? stuff from does he have a thing with camilla like is he bringing her like what i don't know what else would she be into so hi hi i mean without without going into things that happen in in future episodes i think the that we can reasonably assume that you know all of this stuff is public record and how rudy figured out that dexter was laura moser's son uh, we don't know how he did that, but he put these pieces together, and then there was enough information out there for him to lead Dexter to uh, to the information. Yeah, it's a it's this elaborate Easter egg hunt or or whatever what have, scavenger hunt, right? That the ice truck killer has laid out for him. But he has all these small, tiny little details that it's like, man. That's a lot of work. Yeah, and it's it's a slow trickle of information that just kills you because you know it's building towards something, but it just gives you enough to like, oh my god, why is he doing this? There's a, uh, a Rita and Paul plot line through here. Um, Rita's getting the kids ready for school. They ask if Paul's coming home for Christmas. Astra guesses that Paul is back in jail, and Rita tells Cody if he wants he can write Paul a letter. Cody makes a terrible bad child actor delivery saying it's all your fault <laughs> yeah he sounds like one of the um, 
the oh man, what are those kids that do the thing with the God, this is stupid. I don't the know. Little what I'm yes, the little rascals. Yes, the little rascals. That's the one. I don't know how I inferred that from what you were saying. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, right. I have no little, idea how. The little rascals line. <laughs> Boom. Perfect. Well, you know, and we Cody gets replaced because he doesn't know how to act. So. <laughs> Cody gets replaced both. As an actor and a character in the show. Yes. It's like, no, we're done with this kid. Yes, no photo on IMDb. I think I think Daniel Goldman's time was up after this. When he goes missing, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead on something, but he goes missing, and Rita seems really, really calm while he's missing. So, you know, and who can blame her? Because, you know... He's obnoxious and he's a terrible actor. They should have just waited until the next season. Just have Cody come back home as a different kid. <laughs> Done. Actor switch explained. You don't have to well, even do any any legwork. Yeah, just Cody never comes home. He never comes home. And then boop, there he is. New it should Cody. Be like every season, uh, like there's a different one. Uh, but that it's like completely obvious like one season he's just black for no reason <laughs> like like go, go full uh, uh, full Becky from Roseanne or full the mom yeah. from uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air well the, there's a TV show on Comedy Central called Another Period and there's a character in there named Hortense she's the ugly sister Every season, she's played by a different actress. It's so good, and, and they're not anywhere close to any each other. So one season, she's this really big girl, and next one, she's really skinny, and it's it's great. Yeah, brilliant. So yeah, uh, Rita does call Dexter and tell her that Cody's run away. Uh, Dexter figures out where Cody is at the playground where they would spend their Thursdays with Paul. Dexter asks Rita, or Dexter tells Rita that she should tell them how bad Paul is, that she's protecting them. Rita's not happy with that, and she takes the kid home. And then Rita goes to visit Paul in jail. She tells him that the kids are in the other room. She has Paul an ultimatum, explain to them why he's in jail or lose them forever. And Paul relents, and the kids come in and hug him. I thought that was a good moment. Uh, actually, this was probably my one time that I thought Paul, uh, as a character of Paul, did the right thing. You know, like, uh, and and had uh, emotion and was like really showing the that he cared for his children and this is the thing that they need to see or hear or whatever it was. And so, like for me, that was a it was a pretty endearing moment, uh, even though it's kind of messed up how it how it all happens, but. I was like, good. Good for you, buddy. Yeah, he's sympathetic uh, at the end here, and, you know, he is still sort of fighting with Rita, but her her ultimatum works on him, and he's, you know, he actually does care about his kids. He's not just trying to mess Rita up or uh, just do it for the sake of being a jerk. So it's... His character, I think, is is well-defined as, you know... Drinking makes him abusive, but even when he's sober, he's he's still just kind of a dick. Uh, but this is this is the first time we're you know, I think we we kind of enjoyed uh, him getting his comeuppance by being sent back to jail by Dexter. But here it's more of a an actual moment of sympathy where you know this is the only way he gets to see his kids, and he has to tell them the truth about himself now which is not going to be an easy conversation well and and if it wasn't if it wasn't for the the bad child acting uh you know the the episode kind of drives home that yeah dexter dexter kind of did a good thing but now all of this is coming back to hurt the kids and it it just kind of like wow this sucks yeah. Well, it's Dexter that plants the seed of you have to tell the kids what Paul's really like with Rita, and she decides to make that Paul's job instead of hers. So. Well, yeah, because if she does it, then, oh, you're just trashing my dad. Well, then he, has to, he just says the line again. Yeah. 
Your fault. This is all your fault. This is all your fault. Yeah, you have to say it with like all the wrong inflections. And <laughs> like someone just off camera just said it to you. Say, this is all your fault. This is all your fault. <laughs> uh, so, poor kid. Poor kid. Best line of the episode. I I uh, I think we said one earlier, right? Wasn't it you the come? come? Yeah, you misspelled you come. come. That's that's just yeah. the top. Yeah, excellent. We're giving a, a Masuka line the line the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that was Dexter's yeah. line. No, but it's a Masuka line. It's that's a Masuka line. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's not I, from Masuka. I, I didn't it's categorized as Masuka. I went with um, when Dokes pushes Dexter, kind of blocks him, and Deb says, is that a sexual tension thing between you two? Something like that. Nice. I like that one. Still a Masuka line. (laughs) Still a Masuka line, but not as disgusting as a typical Masuka line. So speaking of which, what's the worst line of the episode? Yeah, we're not walking away from this without having a sexual line win. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had it, uh, if I'd have known it would have taken, wait, was it, if I'd have known this would have gotten you back in the same room with me, I would have gotten stabbed sooner. Sad Tista. Very nice. Stab, stab Tista. (laughs) Yes, at this point he is stabbed Tista. (laughs) I actually went with something during the scene with the elves, because that scene was just so bad. The acting was terrible, the lines were terrible, the music was terrible. And the, the one elf said, who would do this around Christmas so dramatically, like, worse than Cody? And um, I think the, the male elf says, the Grinch, like, come on, what yeah. show are you on? Yeah, yeah I had, they, that they irritated wrote, me. Yeah, they wrote the elves as, like, like it was some bad made-for-TV movie, Christmas movie. Yeah, it was like Elf 4 made for cable <laughs> is what they did with that scene. Well, I think uh, I think Cody and the Elves is a spin-off show that they created, <laughs> so you can always check that out on whatever platform you can find. <laughs> What's the worst platform there is? Because that's where I'll Spoiler find it. Spoiler alert, that's gonna yeah. suck. <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah, I, say, I think it's on CBS lines. All Access. Yeah, I was going to um, say Freeform, but I haven't watched anything on Freeform yet, so I don't know if it's good or bad. Yeah, I think it's CBS All Access. I'm pretty sure bad. What are we talking about? Because that's where uh, that new Star Trek show is, and so CBS oh. All Access is known as uh, uh, the network where no one has gone before. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah, that's right up there with CISO. Yeah, well, CISO is toast. Right, right. There's no yeah. CISO anymore. They had to move from CISO to CBS All Access. They had to switch Cody and the Elves (laughs) from CISO. Yeah. So I'm going to put forward worst line of the episode as, it's all your fault. (laughs) Yep. That's a good contender. It is so, such a bad delivery. Like, the line itself is fine. It's how he delivered it. it. Like, coming from a kid that small, like... I don't know, man. Like, my kids have never said, this is all your fault to me. You've also never been... <laughs> like, you and Hannah have never been in this situation. <laughs> uh, yeah, you might not know that. They could. It could have been a all-your-fault moment for Dale. <laughs> I do think that is said by a child in every production that has a child in it. Yeah. This is all your fault. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a <laughs> with varying degrees of inflection. Yeah, well, I think, and it's used as a crutch because they can't convey that through acting, so they have to say what they're thinking. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you can't. They don't have the abilities to convey it through their expression, so we're just gonna have the kids say, "I'm mad at you." Yeah, it's your exactly. Fault. Like, so, and yeah. I'm mad at you, and. Uh, this is the best day ever, the exact same inflection of tone. <laughs> but that's used because they can't get the child to actually act with, like, their face about yeah, what they're Yeah, it's feeling. just either, thanks for taking me to the zoo, best day of my life, to it's your fault. Same tone. Uh, one, of my, one of my buddies, he, he'll get 
like really angry at something, it'll get really calm for a second and just like, I am fucking furious. And that's exactly how I felt when that line came up. <laughs> it's it's so out of place. It's wonderful. It's that YouTube video, I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> you know what I'm so, talking about? Uh, <laughs> so this, I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, you got to see it. Oh, it's so freaking it funny. It's like it's only like 15 seconds long. It's this British kid like vlogging. He's like he's like sitting up and he just starts to do it. He's like so I went and this fist like comes out of nowhere and punches him in the head. And the camera I see it and it's funny. The camera kind of tilts toward him and he's just like, "Ah, oh, I can't believe you've done this." <laughs> oh yeah. I'm going to watch that over and over uh, when we're done. I did not hit her. Oh man! Uh, <laughs> so this line, this line that Cody says for me, this is the moment when the show goes bad. Downhill from here. He ruined it. He ruined the whole show, and I'm sad, and I'm upset, and I'm happy, and I'm confused, and I'm rainbow-colored flowers. I don't know what I am right now. Well, just yeah, just keep this keep this line reading in mind next season when we have a different actor in, because that's that's why. New Cody can't salvage it for Zach. This is why we need a new mm-hmm. Cody. And, it's over uh, with. They still don't give new Cody a lot to do. It's, <laughs> it's <laughs> the kids are kind of more decoration than anything on this show most of the time. Uh, so uh, performance of the episode not going to Daniel Goldman. Any? Uh, it's got to go to Rudy. Has to. Like it's such a good performance. You're the worst, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Not the first time I've heard that. No, I went with Jennifer Carpenter. You have to go with Jennifer Carpenter on that. Look at all the levels she feels, just even that last five minutes. You see her just, best day of her life, immediately to getting murdered, just about. You you can't beat those levels. Yeah, I I was going to say Rudy, but I think I might be swayed. I think I might be swayed to the to the Jennifer Carpenter side. I think you make a good point, Brooke. She did have pretty good emotional levels and and a lot more to do in this than she normally does, which is good for her. Yeah, and you know she could have played it so um, she could have gone so over the top with her reaction as she's realizing who Rudy is, but it was just so subtle and just so perfect. Yeah, she's and the, more over the top when she's excited in this episode. Uh, she's over the top when Dexter basically tells her that Rudy's going to propose. She's more over the over top when she shows up at the yacht and says "fuck me" when she sees Rudy and all the stuff lit up. So yeah, yeah like yeah. watching that watching that level of excitement drain out and turn into you know the terror terror of finding the ice truck killer's your boyfriend. Yeah, I'm not saying best line for the episode, but best line in response to the question, will you marry me, fuck me, is the best. (laughs) You know. Well, that was just when she saw the boat. He hadn't even popped the question at that point. (laughs) Like, he didn't even have to pull out the ring. She was just ready to go. That's because she didn't get any in the last episode. That's fair. That's That's what I was going to say. She's like, do you have wood this time? (laughs) (laughs) It's a nice boat, but let's get the important things out first, okay? I'm surprised her acceptance of the proposal wasn't contingent on the level of wood. Mm. Yeah, I'm also... His his message, his text message earlier would have been so much different had, like, emojis existed. You know it would have been like an eggplant and explosion. (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't say, come to the hot dog stand. <laughs> she is a hot dog stand. <laughs> Come in the hot dog stand. There That's you go. The, all right. We Everything's are, ruined. We are all in one way or another headed to the hot dog stand. That's <laughs> uh, uh, great. So, what did you think was uh, the best performance of the episode, Dale? I, uh, you know, when I first watched season one of Dexter, I think Rudy was my favorite character. I loved how it shifted from he's just Deb's boyfriend that they've written fairly interestingly into he's uh, 
the ice truck killer, and then this episode is when when Deb finds that out. I always really appreciated his performance when I when I first watched the the show, and I have to say um, I'm not as enamored with him as I was before. Uh, I still really enjoy the performance. I think he does a really good job, but I thought that he was like doing a Michael C. Hall level uh, job on the show the first time that I watched it. And now it's more like, no, he's good for what he's doing and it makes sense and all of that. But uh, yeah, I, I would go with, I would go with Jennifer Carpenter on this. Um, you know, I would go with Rudy on this uh, as well. I'm kind of on the fence about it, but I, and I think it's, uh, I think it's one of her, strongest episodes this season for sure just for the the range of emotions that she gets to deal with yeah she takes it finally she gets one yeah hasn't she we we haven't given her one yet right I don't think so I'm not sure I can't remember now I mean everybody else has given it to her but none of us I felt like we were leading up to that joke, but <laughs> the the time for it passed, and then Zach just found it again. Anyway. <laughs> I knew it was coming. It was just kind of waiting for it. Brooke knew it was coming, um, and with that, and <laughs> she misspelled it. By the way, thank you all for uh, thank you all for coming, and thank you all for listening at home. This is the deeply discussing Dexter podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.